0: The Adam Crowley Show. I've never felt so alive until
1: now. On ESPN Pittsburgh. The iHeartRadio app.
0: Back on Crowley Radio Row. Penguins are playing again tomorrow night. The break is over. And they are off, baby. It's a stretch run. Trade deadline coming up at the end of February. Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, who was out there watching the All-Star festivities. He joins me now. Mac Daddy, what's going on, pal?
1: I believe I was down there, not out there, if we want to be geographically correct.
0: Was it obvious that I forgot where it was, and then I didn't want to say up or down?
1: Uh, no, I just... I. I think it's uh, you know in Pittsburgh I feel like it's a lot of north south directions like you know you go up camp and you go down you go down air up there it's usually not out there so I, I don't know
0: I forgot I where
1: myself now
0: I forgot where the game was until you just said it was down air so and in fact I still don't remember where it was where they played in Tampa
1: Tampa yeah yeah nailed it
0: Jason Mackey of the Post Gazette joining me here on the Crowley Show weather good down
1: there. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. The only problem was, like, every one of these trips where you have, like, a couple days and there's something every day, like, I find myself coming home and I wish, like, I had worked less. I'm sure my bosses (laughs) at the Post Gazette don't want to hear that, but you end up like, you don't do anything, man. Like, I just cranked out coffee and interviewed people and worked, like, way too much, but the weather was gorgeous, yes. Did you crank out coffee
0: by the pool by any chance?
1: Um, I tried, um, I tried to read a little bit by the pool and it was just, it it was a little bit windy. Like that's obviously not anything to complain about because I know what the weather was here, but, um, I did not crank out coffee by the pool. I did it in the media room.
0: I kind of think that the, if I had to pick an all-star weekend that I liked the best, I'd have to probably put the National Hockey League all-star festivities on top. Uh, What did you like about it? And what, what do you not like about it, Jason?
1: Um, I didn't like in this particular case that media day was smashed in with the skills competition Mm -hmm. and it felt like, um, there's a whole bunch of cool stories you can write and there's just not enough days and time to go and get them and do them. I know one of the things that I like about this, you have a lot of different guys available. Um, and I can go, you know, talk to a bunch of different players and and write something neat, but at the same time, like you're also worried about your own guys and it was the same night of the skills. So you can only. You know, human capacity, you can only write and do so much. And so I, I wish there was an extra day. Um, I wish the-, the event itself, like the actual game, was maybe shorter. It felt like it kind of dragged. I like the skills competition. I thought they did that really well. Maybe I'd shorten it a little bit in terms of time. But overall, I mean, I- I'm with you, Adam. I think it is the best of the All-Star Weekends um, or the you know All-Star festivities. I think they get the most consistent interest in it. Was there a lot of
0: local interest? The team's obviously performing very well down there. Were people fired up about
1: it? They actually were. Um, they did it con- con- concurrent with uh, Gasparilla, which I had heard of, but I'd never been around. So there were you know, a bunch of people in town anyway, and I think they wanted to do that to like sort of embrace the whole Pirate theme. But uh, Tampa did a great job, man. Uh, every time I'm down there, I mean, they, they treat us really well media-wise, but... Um, There's a lot of stuff around the rink. It's a nice building. Um, And, you know, it's very easy to get from the airport, a lot of hotels, all that stuff. So, yeah, the town did a great job putting it on. It was a lot of fun being around there, a lot of buzz around the building. I know I stayed at the media hotel, and the the entire time there's just people swarming the lobby with all-star stuff and either looking for autographs or photos or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, they did a nice job. It was tangible how excited people were.
0: Jason Mackey the Post-Gazette joining me here on the Crowley Show. Jason, you put it up on your Twitter account that Latang said, we're going to practice tomorrow. Don't think we're going to take a day off. We want to get right back with the team and keep going. I think we had something good going on. We want to keep it going. Is that the sense you get from Crosby, too? Or are they Were they really kind of chomping at the bit to get this second half rolling uh, with the way that they've been playing so far?
1: They are. That's it. Uh, Latang. it was actually in the same at media day. Um, he said something, you know, the, the boys are back or something about, you know, them being back and just being excited about all this, and that's exactly what it is. Um, they know they're playing good hockey. They know that they've gotten back to the way they like to play. And I thought it was interesting, too, one of the things Latang admitted uh, during his media interview. He didn't know whether fatigue or motivation was an issue, and I think he sort of hinted that both have been issues. Um, and, you know, I don't blame the Penguins. they played a lot of hockey, and it's hard to get up for October November, December, even January games. But we're past that. They look really good. They look aggressive. They, you know, with Reeves out of the lineup, they've had a much more uh, productive fourth line, and I think they've definitely found something here.
0: Is there a sense of relief, do you think, maybe, Jason, that they kind of have their backs against the wall and need to play well? Almost like they don't have to create motivation. There's actual motivation now.
1: You know, I, I don't know if relief is the right word, but I know what you're getting at. Um, maybe, like, encouragement that they know that, you know, they still have it. They know they can do this. Uh, maybe that's a scary thing, too. Like, if they do make a run here and, you know, good luck to Mike Sullivan trying to get them to care about anything next year if they know that they can <laughs> just sort of just stumble their way through the beginning of the season. But, um, you know, relief is one way, but I also look at it and I think about guys like, you know, Carl Haglund, almost like a rejuvenation use another R word, and, um, you know, some some reinforcement, I guess, that somebody can come in and play really well with Sidney Crosby, like Dominic Simone. So, I don't know. There's a couple offshoots of that, but I definitely think there, there is some truth to what you're saying.
0: Jason Mackey joining me here on the Crowley Show. Who do you think starts in Goldemar?
1: I think it's got to be Murray. Um, I think they will start Murray. I think they should start Murray. Um, you know, if Casey DeSmith would have thrown up a shutout or, or allowed one goal, uh, you know, maybe he stays in. But this is Matt Murray's game. I, I think Mike Sullivan, he was asked about that. I think it was the last home game. Um, sort of went out of his way to say that Matt Murray is his number one guy. Sullivan has not talked like that a lot. I mean, he didn't want to pin himself down with the Murray versus Flurry stuff and really hasn't said it this season. I don't think he has had a need to state that Matt Murray is his number one guy. But he said it. I think that was sort of pointed to Matt. Uh, And honestly, I wasn't that surprised when he went with the Smith last home game just because Sullivan's done this a few times where he'll bring in a guy, make him a backup for a game, get him a look at it, and then bring him in the next game. And I think that's what he did with Murray, give him a little bit more time to finish grieving and get his head right. But you're coming back out of the break, it's got to be Matt.
0: Jason, the Penguin Stars are playing that way. Castle, five goals, 11 assists in January at 16 points in 11 games. Malkin, 9 and 7, 16 in 11 games. And then Crosby, Bingo. three goals, 17 assists, <laughs> 20 points in 11 games. So while everything else seems to be coming into play, uh, into place, pardon me, is that the most important thing that those guys are all now having elevated their game? Not that they weren't playing well before, especially Kessel, but I mean, they're on fire at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely in the top three. That's for sure. Um, I still look at this team and I think about depth in the bottom six. Uh, maybe that's because I, you know, we're just used to having the stars produce like that. But I guess if you look at the other side of that coin, Anima, I mean, if, if they're not producing, this team isn't going to go anywhere. So, I guess with that line of thinking, you could say, yeah, that's the most important thing that these guys produce. Um, but as long as these guys are going, I look at this. You know, sort of take a thirty thousand foot view of this team, and you have the goaltending to win it. The stars are playing like the stars. I think they're very good on the back end. Even you know, as Latang's game is kind of rounding in the form. The only thing that I still need to see from this team, I feel like, is the depth, and they're getting some of it now. But I still feel like they need to and will try to get more the rest of the way here.
0: Are you hearing anything about that picking up now with the trade deadline about a month away?
1: Um, no, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Um, I, 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 think we're still in the same spot as we have been, um, seven to 10 days, days ago. Um, you know, we're kind of in a, in a staring contest right now. I do think something will happen here to break it open and it very well could be in Cole. I, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't want to come on here and say that I think it's like imminent that they're going to trade Cole, but I, him playing him playing well, uh, realizing the totality of the situation, I, I don't think it's hurting the process of an Ian Cole trade. Uh, and then, you know, once something happens here, even with the Penguins or otherwise, I, I think you'll see something in short succession. I'll also say this, Adam. It's not in Jim Rutherford's trade history or his DNA to wait to do something right up until the deadline. So we're kind of nearing the part where he's going to do something.
0: I hope he does something this week so I have something else to talk about. Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette joining me here on the Crowley Show. In an ideal world, Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel are all on three different lines, yes? Yes. And they're going to remain that way?
1: Well, I mean, for the foreseeable future anyway, and I think that's a big consideration with who they bring in uh, to play third-line center for them, is they need to have somebody who can produce Kessel and, and keep them away from Malkin. So, I mean, that's the goal. I can't say that that's for sure what's going to happen because they want to get production there, but... Uh, and I mean production out of Kessel, I should specify, uh, but that's the goal.
0: The Penguins' power play over the last handful of years, the crosby Malkin era, has always kind of seemed to be lacking a little bit. Not that they haven't been successful, but you always kind of thought there might be something else there. Well, now the Penguins' power play is kicking, clicking at 27%. What's made them tap into that potential this year? And the power play, to me, has been the thing that's kept them buoyed all season long.
1: Did I hear you sneak a power play in there? Bro, it's I, been really it's not, bad
0: lately for me. I don't know why, but I, I feel like I'm devolving into my parents.
1: Dude, I, th- I think you just threw out a total ginger power in there, and you corrected yourself on the second go around.
0: But I, I, I'm pretty sure you did. I'm not but. going full ginger. I only yeah. throw one power play in there, not two, you know?
1: that That's tremendous. Tremendous. Anyway, so you asked what has been going on with the power play that has enabled them to finally have a breakthrough year with Crosby and Malkin. Um, my answer to that would be two things. Um, one is Phil Kessel and how good he's been on the power play. Um, Watch that thing function. It, it runs through him and he's only gotten more proficient during his time here. Um, and two, the amount of movement that they have on that thing. I did something uh, talking to EJ a couple weeks ago, and if you've ever not talked to EJ about the power play, you need to. It's just, it's great. You know, he's got this like halting Montreal accent and you know, I'm gonna to try to do it without swearing, and, and and you know, you got to move this guy here and move this guy there, and you know, he'll move it around with like salt shakers and coffee cups. And anyway, so I'm talking to EJ about the power play, just like talking about their movement and and how the the puck goes around, and there's just nothing static, and they they don't know what they're going to do. It's improvisation, and uh, they have so much skill on that unit, and when when they're going like that, you just can't defend them, and so it's been fun to watch and. Honestly, if they continue going like this with no injuries or nobody goes through a slump or whatever, I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't leave the league. There's no reason they shouldn't have the best power play in the history of the franchise, honestly. Yeah,
0: and if it sticks around over 27%, I mean, that hadn't done since the 80s. So we're talking about you go back a ways for the Penguins uh, in terms of the historical success of this power play. I did it again, Jason Mackey. Joining me here on you the did Crowley the Show. I really didn't. I really didn't. That came out. Really? And that, I, I, it came out, and then afterwards I noticed it. I'm not even kidding. Oh, boy. My wife's a speech therapist. we got to fix this. Uh, again, Jason Mackey here on the Crowley Show. Looks like Yammer Yager's done now. Uh, it, at least that's the way it looks at this moment, uh, and I would surmise that that's going to be the case. So with that the case, let's get that jersey up in the rafters. What do you say?
1: That's it, man. Um, uh, my 20 thoughts come out tomorrow morning, and um, a little teaser for that, I'll address that situation. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's breaking news either that they're going to put the jersey in the rafters. I think it's just a matter of when. Um, you know, and I know one complication. In the NHL, for whatever reason, it's weird. Like, they don't do those one-day contract things, even though I think a lot of Pittsburgh would like to see Yager do that. Uh, but there is going to be... Uh, sort of a reckoning or a you know embrace of Yager here publicly some way and we're getting close to it it's going to be really cool and you know like i said earlier and like you, like you said that that jersey has to go out there and there's no reason not to celebrate the living daylight like out of the guy so i did
0: cliché question forthcoming so hang in there jason oh, goody. best four penguins of all time in order what do you got for me
1: Mario, Yager, Sid, Gino.
0: Oh, you going Yager over Sid? I am. Why? Well, uh, uh, uh,
1: I always went, you know, nobody's asked me that since Cross has passed him in scoring. Right. And I always really did feel like, you know, scoring for the Penguins, and we're trying to judge based solely on that. You know what? I, you're going to make me revisit this, Adam. I guess I would go Mario, Sid, Yager, Malkin.
0: Worst Penguin Who's of your all time. Four? <laughs> I think my four Worst is Malkin. Worst Penguin of all time? Yeah. Ramsey Abid? Poor guy. I hate doing that. Let's not do that. I don't want to make fun of former Penguins. Uh, I think my four, my four is <sighs> Lemieux, Crosby, Yager Malkin.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm tempted to, like, put Ronnie Francis there or something, but Malkin is next just too much. Uh, in, in another era where he wasn't, Side by side with Crosby, he'd be—you know—everybody would be worshiping him. I mean, you know, probably more so. Well, um, he
0: could be a number one for a lot of franchises. Oh, he
1: could and he's be number four. one almost anybody. Absolutely. It just shows yeah.
0: you what the talent level has been here in Pittsburgh, and how blessed that these that this franchise has been. Uh, and hell, I mean, the, the MVP trophy or uh, pardon me, the, the Art Ross trophy should just reside here in Pittsburgh, and hell, I think they got a pretty good shot of bringing it home this year, they got two contenders, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either Kessel or Crosby brought it home this year.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't either, I wouldn't either, and, and more so Crosby, with the way he's going, yeah. I mean, he's really not that far off, and he's playing so, so, so well, and the more I think about my ranking Crosby over Yager, I don't, I don't know, maybe I should thought day drinking or something but i don't
0: never say that that.
1: never say that
0: okay (laughs) jason Mackey. no i
1: haven't even yet
0: of the post gazette thanks for the time buddy looking forward to your 20 thoughts tomorrow they're great and we will check them out there on a twitter.com
1: all right man thanks for having me
0: coming up in 12 minutes here on the crowley show seth shostick from the seti institute there's an asteroid that is closer than a lot of asteroids have been lately. And it is hurling towards Earth. And we always make the joke. You're rooting for the Eagles or you're rooting for the Patriots? And I've always said we're rooting for the asteroid. Well now there's actually a Dave Asteroid. And if it would if it would hit right on Minneapolis. I don't want it to hit Earth, but if it was going to, that's probably the place I'd want it to hit. We'll have him coming up in ten minutes here on the show. I got a couple of tweets I want to get to, and I'm dropping stuff all over the place. It's the Crowley Show. Good choice of song, Joe. Well played by you. As we're going to get Seth Shostick from the SETI Institute. He's an astronomer. He'll be joining us coming up in five minutes here on the show. There's an asteroid that's coming close to the Earth. They call it Asteroid 2002 AJ-129. It's not going to hit the Earth, but if it did, that'd be cool, because everyone always are, always says, Who are you rooting for or an asteroid? <laughs> well, now it could happen. We'll talk to Seth about that coming up in five minutes. Got a couple of tweets that relate to our previous topic conversation. Chief Wahoo no longer being the primary logo for the Indians the next year. Gonzo Sal tweets I enjoy listening to your show I just happen to disagree with you on this particular subject Doesn't mean that I'm going to stop listening to you Though you shouldn't be so close-minded To people who don't agree with you First off When you host a radio show You're supposed to be opinionated So I will be that way I am opinionated And I don't sugarcoat anything When I feel a certain way I will tell you how I feel I don't lie Transparency number one virtue of the Crowley show I don't lie I just don't I don't lie in real life, very often, and I don't lie on the radio at all. If you are one of the people who's upset about the logo no longer being used, I can understand from the standpoint of nostalgia. But at the same time, all it is is nostalgia. And if people would feel more comfortable, those who feel persecuted, those who feel like their stereotype is furthered along by this logo, well, maybe you just give up the nostalgia a little bit. Maybe you just deal with losing that feeling. Allow them to not feel like there's a stereotype. It's not going to affect you after day one. Oh, my God, why aren't they wearing the cheat? G- oh, yo patch? Day two. All right, time to take two out of three against the Yankees. Who cares? And to be offended that it's being taken away and then claim that nobody should be offended in the first place is being a hypocrite. This is also being a hypocrite. This is from Sal. You know, Adam, this is why I love what I love about people like yourself who have an agenda that they want to push on others. When people oppose your point of view... They are then verbally attacked and labeled. Classic liberal snowflake. Now, wait a second. Is that you attacking and labeling me? By calling me a liberal snowflake? I think so. Edward tweets, ooh, science talk. Awesome. I'd gladly give my life to have that sucker hit Phoenix. I'm not willing to die just because I don't want to see these teams play in the Super Bowl but I'm hoping that since that stadium's so big that if the asteroid does hit nothing happens and it just kills all the Eagles and Patriots I don't really want them to die don't take this the wrong way I'm gonna have people blowing me up like they're blowing up the damn Tom Brady pissant child comment four one two nine two 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 eight seven four tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley today is Super Bowl Media Day used to be Tuesday now it's a nighttime event. It's a primetime event. A made-for-television event. And, okay, I get it. But it doesn't interest me in the slightest. Dale's out there from DKPittsburghSports.com, and he's trying to come up with a story on James Harrison, and he's going to have women out there in wedding dresses who are trying to propose James Harrison and to Tom Brady and to others hmm how's that going to work for the real journalists not that I'm opposed to the theatrics myself we do like to mess around we do like to screw around here on the Crowley show I mean we are on Radio Row after all 4129 tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley Joe I've got a different phone number here for you for this guy I'm going to DM it to you. I'm going to copy it from his email. I'm going to DM it to you. How's that sound? There's transparency on the Crowley Show. While I do this, I'm going to talk my way through it. Joe Rokicki on Twitter. Next. Copy. Paste. Sent. Should be right there, Joe. This is not Joe's fault. This is my fault. There's this... There's a way to connect... With other people who do radio shows, there's Matrixes or Matri, as I call them, and there's Zephyrs or zephyrs as I call them. And these people got one and they wanted to use it. But we it just makes things more complicated. And the potential gains not that great. So we just used a phone line. But now we're having issues with the phone line because, hey, of course we are. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley, 412 2874 Seth Shostak from the SETI Institute is going to be joining me here on the Crowley Show. Talk about an asteroid that's going to hit on Super Bowl Sunday. Here's the real information I got. It's going to pass close by the Earth. I don't know what that means, though. It's going to be moving 67,000 miles per hour. That's fast. That's really fast. That's, like, way fast. If that hits the Earth, do we all die? Or do just the people who get hit die? Do we get plunged into an eternal darkness? I don't know. That's why I want to have Seth on. He's calling back in a minute. We found him. I think he's calling right now. He's not calling right now? I'm going to put whoever this is on the line. What do you think? Monday shows. One of those days. Edward tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. Steely McBeam offended my sense of nostalgia, but I got over that. That was the dumbest. thing. I'm offended more by stealing McBeam than people should be offended about the actual racism involved with Chief Wahoo. Was that not Seth that was calling in, Joe? What the hell's going on? Did they not want to be on the radio program? They did want to be on the program. Why did you not give them to me? I'm clearly tap dancing here. He insisted on using the ISDN. He gave me uh, 60 seconds, so I'm calling him here in about 30 Okay, he was like that before. He's all about this ISDN. the end. He's all about trying to connect the fancy way. I just want to connect. That's it. He gave me all the information for that, but that just would have created more problems. Or, well, so I thought. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Here's what we're gonna do for Super Bowl week. Talk about the Super Bowl very little, because I can predict Steelers games fairly well. Because I know what I'm watching. I've covered the team all season long. I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. I know how they tick. I go to practices from time to time. I know who they are. When it comes to the Eagles, when it comes to the Patriots, I know about them. But I'm not going to predict what I think is going to happen. Last year, a lot of people thought the Patriots would win and then celebrated their prognostication being correct after the Patriots did win. Well, then guess what? There's, There's no way that they had that scenario cooked up. Well, the Patriots are going to be up by 25, or down by 25, then win the game. So, we're not going to do that here on the show. We don't believe in prediction radio. That's why, during Super Bowl week, we have guys like Seth Shostik on from the SETI Institute. He's an astronomer there. Thank you so much for the time, Seth.
2: Not at all.
0: Seth, there's this running joke that goes on every year for the Super Bowl where people say, Who are you rooting for? The Eagles, the Patriots, this team, that team, and... Then there's the default answer, C, which is, oh, well, I'm rooting for the meteor. Uh, I'm I'm rooting for both teams to lose. Well, in this instance, it sounds like there's going to be a meteor or an asteroid that's passing fairly close to the Earth, is there not?
2: Well, it depends on what you call fairly close. I, I guess you could call this the ultimate Hail Mary pass. Because, indeed, for <laughs> this asteroid, which, you know, would sit on the edges of that stadium up there in the Minneapolis, wherever it is, uh, it's like two-thirds of a mile across, that kind of thing. And it is going to pass relatively close to the Earth, but relatively means, you know, like two and a half million miles.
0: How many of these things come close to the Earth or this close to the Earth? Are there things that are floating by the Earth right now that are closer?
2: Well, there probably aren't many that are closer that are at least big enough to see. I mean, you know, there might be rocks the size of a basketball or, I don't know, maybe rocks the size of a pigskin. I mean, there are a lot of rocks out there. We know of about almost a million of them. But you can be sure there are a lot more. And uh, most of them don't get very close to the Earth. Look, the ones you got to worry about are the big ones. Because if you get hit by a big one, well, you can ask the dinosaurs what the consequences of that might be. That would be the last of the Super Bowls. Uh, But there are also small ones, like this thing. This isn't as big as the one that did in the dinos. It's it's less than a mile in size. But if that were to hit, you know, I don't know, Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis would have instant urban renewal. But it's not going to happen because this thing's going to sail right by the Earth, and nobody will know.
0: Okay, so if one did hit that's this size, and let's just say it hit the middle of the ocean, would anything happen then?
2: Yeah, sure. You'd have a lot of, you know, a lot of dead fish, But more than that, I mean, if it hit the ocean and it was within, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred or a thousand miles of a coastline somewhere, it's going to kick up a tremendous tsunami, right, which, uh, you know, will sweep uh, onshore and, and ruin everybody's day who happens to have a beach house. So, yeah, you could have that. But, I mean, for the rest, okay, it would be a big story for a couple of months and then it would sort of go away. What you really don't want it to do is to land in downtown New York because that, that would sort of crater Manhattan.
0: Seth Shawstick, SETI Institute astronomer there, joining us here on the Crowley Show. How many of these, uh, you, you said that ones that are this big, uh, I mean, we haven't seen anything like this since the dinosaurs, correct?
2: Well, no, that's not true. There okay. was actually an asteroid that passed even closer to us that was even slightly bigger. That was last fall. I mean, you have to look at it this way. The Earth is kind of a metal duck in a shooting gallery, right? And they're they're pot shots being fired all the time. Now, as I say, the ones you really want to worry about are the ones that are a couple of miles in size. The one that did in the dinosaurs, that was roughly five miles in size, okay? So, you know, that's a pretty big rock. How often do we get hit by one of those? Nah, maybe once every hundred million years. So that's not something to worry about this weekend. But there are lots and lots of smaller ones, and the smaller ones, they won't wipe everything out, But they could wipe out whatever they hit, as I say. You know, if one of those things were to land in San Francisco, that would take out San Francisco. I mean, that's what it would do. And we don't know about those smaller ones. We know about the really big ones. As far as the really big ones go, you're safe for at least another 30 years. But the small ones, you know, could come in tonight and, as I say, ruin everybody's whole day by, you know, just destroying the downtown area of some city.
0: Well, how likely is it that we're going to get hit with some of these in, Say my lifetime. I'm 27 years old, presumably going to live till 75, although you can never say these things for certain, obviously. I mean, how many of these are we going to get hit by in my lifetime if you had to put an estimate on it?
2: Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, there was one that exploded uh, over a Russian city, Chelyabinsk. Now, the size of that thing, it was not the size of a you know, small office building. It didn't kill anybody, it caused a lot of injuries, but mostly from flying glass. Now, if it had come in on a different trajectory, if it had come sort of straight down instead of this sort of glancing blow, then it probably would have killed some people. What are the chances of that taking you out? Well, I mean, (laughs) something that size hits the earth every 50 years, every 100 years, but the chance that you're going to be somewhere where it's going to happen, a pretty darn small. In fact, you can work out the odds. I mean, you know, in sports you work out the odds. The odds here are that (laughs) the chances that, uh, you know, you'll get hit and killed by an asteroid are so small you don't really have to worry about it. And as far as we know, in all of written human history, not one human has been taken out by an asteroid. On the other hand, if you were a dinosaur, well, that was the end of you.
0: How far out can we see these things? Uh, how, how, how close do they have to be? I guess there's a better way of asking. How close do they have to be to us before we say, oh, shoot, we probably got to look out for that?
2: Well, of course, it depends on the size. The bigger ones you can see quite far out. Uh, And, indeed, we've, you know, NASA's been busy with this for a number of years, and they've mapped essentially 80 or 90% of all the big ones. And when I say big ones again, you know, a mile across or bigger than that, something like that. So we know about the most dangerous missiles, if you will, rocky missiles out there. But the small ones, the the ones that are the size of a house, the ones that could, you know, just sort of, Destroy a downtown area if they were, you know, if you had the bad luck (laughs) to have your downtown area underneath one of these things. There are literally millions of those babies. You can't see them very far away. You know, you can see them, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 million miles away with the best equipment. And uh, that means a lot of them still haven't been seen. And that's that's a problem. It also presents another interesting problem. If you did map all those babies, you know, and suppose uh, somebody told you, NASA told you tomorrow, hey, One of these small rocks is going to uh, hit Chicago next week. Well, what do you want to do about it? I mean, you might have some technology to deflect it a little bit, but if you deflect it, instead of hitting Chicago, maybe it hits Paris, and the French get upset with you. I mean, there are all sorts of political problems that could arise.
0: Well, that's a really good point, because that's exactly where I wanted to go next with you. If one of these things was deemed to be hitting a United States city, I mean you shoot it out of the sky I mean what's the contingency plan? What do you do in one of those circumstances? I suppose that's a really good point that there be, it becomes a political issue if you do shoot it and all of a sudden it winds up you know off you know, in in Great Britain or something like that
2: yeah, yeah that could that could be a problem, and there would be a tendency to say, well, if it hits China that's okay, sure, but the Chinese might not feel that way about it. Yeah, the facts are that at the moment it's still a very theoretical problem, a theoretical problem because we have no technology up and running to deflect these things. If you read about one that's going to come in and, you know, wipe out your hometown, my best advice to you is to buy some frozen pizza and head for the hills because there's nothing we can do about it today. But 10 years from now, maybe we could.
0: What does the atmosphere do to protect us from these kinds of things?
2: Not a heck of a lot. Great. I mean, it's like, like saying, you know, what do what those glass windows in your living room do to protect you from, a, you know, a, a hunter out there who mistakes your house for some sort of wildlife? I mean, it, it's not much. The atmosphere slows it down, heats it up, makes it, you know, nice and pretty by brightening it up. But it certainly doesn't stop it unless unless it's smaller than about the size of a desk. In that case, it'll burn up in the, in the atmosphere. But anything big enough to really do any damage is just going to punch right through that atmosphere in a couple of seconds because these things move fast, right? They'll punch right through the atmosphere and then, you know, make a nice national park on the ground.
0: Anything you're seeing out there now? Maybe not as it relates to this, but uh, as far as what you do, what have you been looking at the last couple of weeks? We haven't talked to you in about a month here.
2: Yeah, well, we're still doing our survey of uh, nearby Small stars, which we think are the type of stars, that might have planets, that might have some inhabitants. So far we haven't detected any, but of course if we do, it'll be a big story.
0: Appreciate the time, Seth, as always, man. Thank you so much.
2: You're quite welcome.
0: Seth Shostak, SETI Institute. I love that guy. He's got a sense of humor. He knows his stuff. And he tells us that Minneapolis is going to be safe this weekend. I've always thought that the big dilemma there is if the government knows that one of these asteroids is going to hit, say, the United States and would wipe out everything. Do they tell us, or don't they? Like, do they allow us to burst into pandemonium? Do they let it turn into a world of worlds? Does the United States become this giant ball of anarchy? Or do they just say, well, we're effed. And the president gets in his little thing, his little bunker, and he survives, and the rest of us are effed. Maybe we should put that up on the poll. Up next, the hottest take of the day, other crap, and we don't have Tom. There's no Tom. There's no Tom Degenerate Gambler segment today. Well, you'll have to survive. It's the Crowley Show. Let's catch up on the Twitter poll from today as we are at Media Day, Radio Row, Best mall food court grub. Add underscore Adam Crowley. Sabaro 25% of the votes. Panda Express, 27% of the votes. Cinnabon, 12% and Annie Ann's winning the darn thing. 36% of the votes. Joe, your favorite food court food. Go. Annie Ann's. Damn right. It's not close to me. If you want sweet, you go with the delicious cinnamon sugar pretzel. If you want salty... You go with the original, which is so damn good, and you dip it in that sweet, tangy mustard. Oh, my God. Although, I must say, I do like Panda Express. They give the free samples out. Sbarro, eh, we used to have one in the Mountain Lair in Morgantown, and, I mean, it's just okay. It's pizza. If you want pizza and you're cheap and you want to grab it, you can't. Barely pizza. Barely pizza. Uh, I'm I'm not about the Sbarro life. Cinnabon, though, only 12% of the vote. Cinnamon's badass, although each one of those that's like fifteen hundred calories. Although I'm sure the sugary pretzel's not all that much better. That was today's Twitter poll at underscore Adam Crowley. Still not sponsored. It's time for the hottest take of the day. Ready, Joe? It's time for the hottest take of the day. day, day, day. We talked a lot today about Chief Wahoo. If Major League Baseball is saying that this is something that needs to change, if Major League Baseball is saying that this is something that's that offensive, then why the hell did they just change it for this year? Why didn't this come down months ago so that the Indians were ready? Why didn't this come down months ago so that they're ready to go when spring training rolls around? Now, when the Indians moved out to the Cactus League They decided that they weren't going to put Chief Wahoo On the side of their complex Why? Because there's a big Native American population out there They didn't want to offend anyone So that's not a big issue And it's only on the jerseys Why put it off? Do it now! That's my hottest take of the day
2: I got it uh, boo boo
0: boo boo and That was the hottest take of the day Day, day now it's time for Other Crap Woo! Other Crap I tweeted this out underscore Adam Crowley earlier on in the day A Pelicans fan snuck onto the court for warm-ups wearing sweatpants and the warm-up shirt and just started stretching and actually took a shot before a policeman came over and was like dude get the bleep off the court that was hilarious you saw it Joe that was the funniest thing I've seen all day I, that was could, great. I could not stop laughing when I saw that it's hysterical and I don't want to be a d-bag about it but the guy was chunkier Like he's a bigger guy and he's stretching like he's a pelican lifting his knees all the way up to his nipples and when he finally gets a basketball he's in the left wing he gets it because someone passed it to him thinking they were a That's teammate. That's the best part. That's the best part. And he shoots it like, I don't know, someone who's never played basketball before would shoot the ball. It's hilarious. And then it doesn't look like he got kicked out. The cop was like, come on, man. Yeah, just sit down. Uh, There's obviously someone who had court seats. Good for him. I like stuff like that. They should let, if I ran a basketball franchise, if I was Mark Cuban, I'd let a fan do that every game. Go down, warm up. Just don't tear anybody's ACLs. We got more other crap. Woo! Other crap. West Virginia basketball stinks right now. And it sucks. Why do I let them do this to me? I know you don't care, but you care about me. If you listen to the show religiously, you know how much I care about that basketball team. They've lost four out of five. In three of those games, they've played good opponents, and they've... Led each of them by double digits in the second half. On the road against eighth-ranked Texas Tech up by 11, they blew it. At home against Kansas, up 16 in the second half, they blew it. Against Kentucky, up 17 in the second half, and they blew it. Why do I let them do this to me? Why? Why? It's every damn year. They kill me, man. They just freaking kill me. That being said, I think they'll be okay. That was a difficult stretch of competition for them. They're obviously good enough to get the leads. They're going to start finishing some of these games out. One more other crap. Woo! Other crap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pit basketball got 7,000 people to come to the game against Syracuse. And none of them were there to watch basketball. They were all there to watch the jerseys. And I get that, but I've seen two columns written today about how people are apathetic about pit basketball. I don't buy that, though. I do think that there's a level of apathy that there hasn't been here in the last two decades, sure. But I don't think it's that no one cares. If no one cared, then 7,000 people wouldn't show up just to see a jersey. You've got to give Kevin Stallings more time. He might not be the man for the job, but you've got to figure it out. Tomorrow on the show.